This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You're listening to Beyond the Ballot Box with me, Dashran Johan. Forced labour is a massive problem in Malaysia. We're talking about horrible wages, deplorable working and living conditions, in essence, modern-day slavery. But what can we do about it? Recently, Lee Hock An, who we've had on the show in the past to talk about economic policies, and Agent Pereira from the North-South Initiative, wrote a paper for ICS Yusof Ishak Institute titled Can Malaysia Eliminate Forced Labour by 2030? Which is what we're going to be unpacking today with the authors themselves. Hock An, Adrian, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having us. Hi, good to be with you. Hock An, let's start with the basics. What is forced labour? Well, I mean, it's, it's a term right, that I think can carry various uh, connotations, uh, forced labour. And uh, I think, it, you know, there can be various ways to uh, interpret it when we hear that term. So what we have done in the paper, and I think what is really helpful is to uh, draw on an established definition uh, that is by the International Labour Organization, ILO, and obviously from arising from very high level uh, discussions, international consultations, right? Um, and so they've distilled it to this. Uh, so I'll just quote, it is defined as all work or service which is exacted from any person under the menace of any penalty and for which the said person has not offered himself volu- uh, voluntarily. So there is, of course, still a lot to uh, a lot to unpack there. But I think uh, you know a key element there is is about force, which is workers uh, being subjected to conditions or consequences that are against the person's uh, wishes. The indicators for monitoring and and also for identifying where forced labor uh, is committed, because it has some uh, that forms that are more blatant, right, and and uh, and overt, but some that are also more subtle. So it includes. Um, Deception, I'm not going through the whole list, deception, restriction of movement, um, intimidation and threats, uh, physical and sexual violence, retention of identity documents, withholding of wages, uh, debt bondage, and also excessive uh, overtime. There are a total of 11 uh, indicators, but I think that gives us a sense right, of uh, the, the breadth, I think, of the kind of uh, issues and problems that are associated with forced labour. Now, Adrian, you work on the ground. Um, would you say that in layman's terms, um, forced labour is, is sort of like modern-day slavery? And how serious is the problem of forced labour in Malaysia? The situation on the ground is uh, quite serious. I think uh, from my observation and the types of cases I've managed uh, and also uh, cases that have been brought to the different uh, courts, yeah, you can see that uh, migrant workers have been struggling uh, with what we call uh, modern-day slavery. And uh, till today, we we just can't see the, the type of solutions or effective solutions being offered by the various actors involved. So, so it's quite, quite bad, yeah. I want to bring up something that was mentioned in the foreword of this paper. And I quote, um, these countries, referring to countries in Southeast Asia, are undergoing deep political and social changes domestically and constructing innovative solutions to meet new international challenges, end quote. Now, talk to me about how looking at trends in our neighbouring countries 
help inform us about you know, what's unfolding at a local level here in Malaysia, especially with regard to this particular issue, which is forced labour? In the ASEAN context and um, even in the context of countries that are receiving or, sorry, sending uh, migrant workers, uh, we are forced to to adhere to different uh, global standards. So uh, besides ILO being one of the, the main authorities, there are now other governments uh, enforcing uh, laws and regulations in the whole supply chain. So you can see that um, different countries uh, struggling to, to, you know, in a democratic manner, uh, update their laws to make sure that their interest is protected and at the same time uh, ensuring the supply chains, you know, are kept clean. So um, that trend, uh, we can see different countries struggling. Uh, of course, if you microanalyze um, the, the 10 ASEAN countries, you have countries which are, you know, doing it in a very democratic manner, and you have countries which are very new and just starting to learn about uh, supply chains and, and how to comply. So you, you can see this, uh, this tension between sending and receiving countries. Uh, but the reality is we have to move very fast because um, the, the laws in, in global supply chains are, are moving faster than, than governments can respond. And, uh, you know, on top of that, you have uh, new concepts uh, being developed like uh, ESG, DEI, which, you know, Malaysia, we are still stuck at CSR uh, in terms of, of the whole uh, way corporations work. So so that is some of the trends that we really need to to move, to study and move faster. Now, Hokan, how does forced labour happen in the first place? Because, you know, we are living in a time where, you know, even if we look at Malaysia, we have minimum wage laws in place currently at 1,500 ringgit. Um, we have laws on standard housing. For example, the Workers' Minimum Standards of Housing and Amenities Amenities Act 1990, Act 4.4.6. So it seems like there are certain laws in place. How does forced labour continue to be a problem in Malaysia? Well, I think, uh, you know, it essentially boils down to uh, what are maybe lack of uh, provisions, lack of institutional sort of form, the formal level protections for for workers. You have mentioned some of the uh, improvements uh, over time, but some of these are also actually quite uh, recent, and we're dealing with forced labor problems that extend back uh, many uh, decades. Uh, but also the practices, right? Um, and uh, essentially about what are uh, the contributors to worker uh, vulnerability. Um, there's a lot here. I mean, I just want to uh, I'll share a few thoughts and I'm sure Adrian can, can add on as well. But I think one of them, it starts with the recruitment process where there are high fees and workers become in, indebted and uh, and that exposes their uh, vulnerability. Uh, they uh, you know have to um, be under the control, the behest of the recruiter or the employer and whatever this, the circumstances uh, may, may be. Uh, within uh, Malaysia, I mean, there are other uh, factors that after being a worker, uh, you know, be, being engaged in an employment that uh, they cannot change employer. Um, but by law, there are some but uh, limited set of conditions that are more related to the company, right, uh, going out of business. But even a worker that is in an abusive uh, situation in a forced labor, 
situation, um, you know, cannot uh, change uh, employers. So there is so much uh, leverage that the employer has over uh, the worker. I mean, some are directly, you could look through the list of forced labor, right? With, uh, retention of passport or travel uh, documents. There's a lot, been a lot of uh, attention to that. And it's at least become uh, more uh, recognized at the higher high, higher levels. Uh, it's part of the, the, the discussion. And uh, I think it's it's becoming uh, something that there is a lot more uh, awareness about. And I think, you know, there are civil society and, and, and workers as they also uh, become more assertive about these rights that can be a check against forced labor. But I think for um, for many for many decades that that was also part of um, the, the problem. Uh, retaining passports, which then also you know workers are very uh, vulnerable because they they cannot. Uh, they, they they cannot go anywhere, right? Their their travel document is also um, being held, and uh, and and so there can be you know a lot of uh, uh, concessions and and uh, exploitative conditions extracted uh, from them. I think the there's not entirely been a lack of the protections and and, and legal uh, provision, but you no know, weak uh, and enforcement and lack of uh, avenue for workers to uh, to express their voice to uh, to report right the their uh, grievances and and to raise uh, complaints you know when forced labor um, is uh, uh, committed uh, against them and maybe to add one more to about how the overall uh, approach and 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 i think the the mindset which is reflective right in um, the jurisdictions uh, in the government that are overseeing uh, labor uh, migration, and there's been a tendency to treat that and lab migrant uh, labor uh, from a security perspective, with a lot of the powers being placed um, under the Ministry of uh, uh, Home Affairs. So these are among the key issues that we have raised in the paper, and I think they've been part of the discussion for many decades. And there's been, you know, uh, progress, regress, you know, and and also some stalled. Um, uh, it, it, the, the conditions uh, ha, has stalled in some some areas, right? Um, so we are dealing with something that is also in flux. Adrian, before you you chime in, right, with some thoughts, I want to get uh, I want to pick up on something Huang An mentioned, um, which stood out to me, right, and and how the workers have no choice to they cannot leave their employer sometimes they are, they're stuck with one employer and and this is interesting right because whenever we people talk about the markets um you know jobs and all people like to highlight that people have choice if you don't like you can just switch companies if you don't like you can just go somewhere else with better conditions uh, what is the reality in the labor laws um, and of course in the concept or principle of non-discrimination by right uh, all workers should should be subjected to the same standard, the same degree of enforcement. Uh, unfortunately, when it comes to this whole labor supply issue, not just for Malaysia, but globally, the, the preference for bringing in workers, um, there's a very specific uh, reason for that. And, you know, it gives uh, the industries a, a, a cheaper option of, you know, of human resource, you get to stretch uh, the working hours. You get to, um, you know, save uh, a lot of of you know companies' money uh, by by having these workers on board. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the regulations in Malaysia hasn't evolved to ensure that you know all workers have the equal standard. And uh, this, of course, is you know taken advantage by by 
whether it's big global companies or whether it's the SME, uh, you know, to to then you know exploit or stretch the, the workers' contributions to the max. So um, for Malaysia, if a migrant worker uh, wants to change employer, uh, there are some technical uh, clauses in the regulation that says you can, but under very tight uh, uh, conditions. So, uh, so you can conclude that um, while a Malaysian has the right to change employers, uh, for a migrant worker, it's not true at all. So uh, their visa or permit is directly tied to that one particular employer. And this is what, you know, uh, if you have read the World Cup reports, uh, how Qatar, you know, has moved away from the kafala type system of labor. But uh, Malaysia, we are still, uh, you know, stuck in that in that worldview that, okay, uh, uh, while a Malaysian may have an option to change employers, uh, uh, the migrant worker cannot do so. Yeah. Right. So... The question then is, what can we do about this problem, this problem of forced labour? Now, you have listed five key points to consider. I I think going through these would help us understand why, or help us understand better why this is happening in the first place, right? So, Adrian, the first one you mentioned is, is to reset the migrant recruitment and employment system. What would you say is wrong with the recruitment system today? Yeah, so there are technical and also structural issues uh, that have caused the whole uh, recruitment process to be highly problematic. And uh, like what Hokon mentioned, uh, touched on a bit, was the, the debt bondage or the recruitment fees. So um, at, at the ILO uh, standard setting level, uh, no worker should pay for a job. Uh, and unfortunately for the Mal- Malaysia labour corridors, we are finding out that that workers are paying up to twenty thousand uh, dollars uh, or ringgit, you know, to get a job. Now that of course puts them in a whole uh, debt bonded situation. Uh, by right, Malaysia should have amended its laws to say that okay, uh, recruitment fees for workers has to be zero, and you know the payments for that service should only be uh, should only come from the employers. So we haven't progressed fast enough. And it looks like the whole labor recruitment process itself is an industry. And, you know, with so much money to be made, uh, the reforms are very slow. So you can see that, uh, you know, certain uh, Western interests has uh, can be seen, uh, whether it's labor agents, human resource managers. Uh, yeah, even... Even the you know the collection of levies per se, it's it's a huge multi-billion-dollar um, uh, sector. So that that itself causes a structural issue to that that prevents the reform uh, for for that recruitment process itself. Yeah. But in a paper, you also bring up something interesting, which is um, about how undocumented labour is a major contribution to this um, problem of forced labour. So you note that, uh, in your paper, you know that forced labour can happen to all migrants, documented or otherwise, but the persisting presence of undocumented labour is a major obstacle to Malaysia's efforts to eradicate the problem. Unpack this a little bit for me. So forced labour itself can cause um, a a migrant worker who's documented to fall into undocumented status. 
So when when you can't change an employer and you have a major dispute at your workplace, uh, coupled with our very poor enforcement and poor redress mechanism, so uh, the worker doesn't have much options. His option and in his mind is, you know, I have to run away, I have to abscond, and unfortunately becomes uh, an undocumented worker. And at the same time, once you are undocumented, um, that also puts you in a, a, a more precarious uh, condition that, that leads to even more uh, deeper forced labor uh, indicators. For example, um, you know, you are, you are then not protected uh, by the law. And, you know, when we look at the cases that, that come to NSI, um, 90, more than 90% of these cases show that, you know, the worker became undocumented uh, because he was put in a forced labor condition or, you know, or a human trafficking condition. So, but unfortunately, he has to deal with, uh, he or she has to deal with with all the, the problems that, that come with, you know, being undocumented. So it, that, that vicious cycle continues uh, and, you know, yeah, there are workers who, you know, to a certain degree, because of the high recruitment fees and, you know, the the levies that, you know, are deducted from their salaries, the illegal deductions. Uh, there are some sectors where we have found that, yeah, the it's it's by, you know, a lack of options that, that they choose to, to remain undocumented. Um, and, you know, the, those various uh, programs that have been offered by the government, say, for example, the, the recalibration program, the rehiring program, uh, it's just not robust enough to, you know, bring them back into the labor force. So we are now all, uh, you know, waiting to see how the ANWA administration, uh, you know, uh, uh, reworks and fixes some of the bugs in the in the the latest recalibration program, which we are, you know, yet to see and hear what are the the, the SOPs. Yeah. On the show with me today is Lee Hock An and Adrian Pereira, co-authors of the paper Can Malaysia Eliminate Forced Labour by 2030? After the break, we continue our discussion on forced labour in Malaysia. Keep it here on Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Beyond the Ballot Box. I'm Dashan Johan and on the show with me today is Lee Hong An and Adrian Pereira, co-authors of Can Malaysia Eliminate Forced Labour by 2030, which is our topic of discussion for today. Hong An, the next key point that you'll bring up in your paper is the need to shift to a high road strategy. Now, this one is particularly interesting because it talks about a sort of fundamental flaw in the way our economy is run. Ultimately, we are talking about a capitalist economy here, um, whether we look at Singapore, whether we look at Indonesia, in, in the globe as a whole, most countries are part of the capitalist uh, global capitalist economy. So, but what are we doing wrong even within that context? Yeah, well, I think maybe to, uh, you know, to unpack the high road, uh, obviously, then there's there's a contrast with, with uh, low road. Right. right. And so, what is high and what is low? Uh, you know, uh, well, the low. We're dealing. We're talking about you know the cycle that the economy get it operates in, with uh, dependence on uh, lower skill, more labor intensive, uh, lower wage, lower productivity, uh, lower value added, lower income. Right. 
Um, and generally that goes as well with uh, less developed uh, labor uh, uh, protections uh, and, and so on and, and low wages. So uh, in the contract and, 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 and economies can get can get uh, uh, stuck in that mode, right? Because it's still convenient because yeah, it, it fuels the, the uh, capitalist uh, system. And, uh, you know, as, as long as it is profitable uh, and, and, and the, the, the engine is still uh, running, right, it's still oiled and, 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 up and, and delivering uh, uh, the, the goods to, to those in power, there's no incentive to, to change. Um, the high road is a contrast in every aspect of moving towards higher skill, higher wages, higher uh, productivity. So, I mean, it's still a bit conceptual, but we can see in history how, you know, countries have made that progression. Um, and of course, it's not a, entirely just uh, um, a binary. Many are, are, are somewhere in between and in, in that uh, transition. I would say that, you know, Malaysia, we are having, I mean, we, Malaysia, you know, we, uh, we are masters, right, at crafting plans <laughs> I don't want to dismiss it because I think it's certainly important to be talking about it and using um, and, and having that aspiration and I think the intention also uh, is there and I think you can be mapped out with some of the the, the progress uh, over time but uh, in, in, in our view I think it's not it's still not yet the decisive uh, shift but I think just to you know I think just to journey along, right? And when we say like some of the the, the changes that are important, um, and uh, important landmarks and important springboards for further uh, progress, a minimum wage was introduced. A minimum wage, right, applies to to all, um, you know. And um, that was that was in uh, 2013, 2014. There, Malaysia has this commitment to a decent decent work. And uh, the Employers Federation uh, and the uh, Trades Union Congress, uh, with the government, also signed MOU, and this is the effect 2019 to 2025. And um, it is sort of an expression of of, of intent. It's a commitment, right, to uh, three priorities: rights at work, um, future uh, of of work, and uh, labor migration. So importantly, uh, labor migration uh, is is also there. And I think part of this. Um, the, this this trend and and sort of progression as far as the institutions you know as far as um, the, the rules and, and regulations we can also see quite recently like in 2019 uh, amendments to and a renaming to the employees minimum standards of housing accommodations and amenities uh, act so you had brought that up and I said that it was actually quite recent that there have been these these amendments so um, there's now um, operating uh license um uh, that uh, or certificate right for um the employ employers providing the housing need to obtain that that's new now the compliance is another matter but again you know at least the the uh the, the legislation is sort of uh keeping up it, it's it's moving i think in in the in the right uh, direction there will also is uh the social security so this is uh coverage for uh, employment injury insurance in also 2019 that was extended to migrant uh, workers. So previously, uh, uh, some of the uh, uh, you know benefits, uh, some of these protections for uh, extended to Malaysian workers were denied to migrant workers. But some like uh, SOXO right um, is it, it's accessible now. And uh, I think uh, as far as the numbers go, seems like the number of migrant workers with SOXO accounts um, corresponds with work permits. But I think 
still not quite at that um, the the high road because um, you know it, it's really still 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 a work in, in progress and we kind of see that unfolding now and we've had the recent employment act uh, amendments um, but uh, still still push back even for something like forty eight hours to forty five hour uh, work week now of course there are going to be adjustment pains but it is not really just something that has been resisted because of covid situations uh, conditions. Because in you know uh, at, at many junctures, including in in, in 2018, um, uh, employers were also uh, resisting, uh, were were opposing this kind of change that is moving in the direction of a higher road. Uh, changes like extending maternity leave, extending a paternity leave. Now these have already, of course, now become uh, part of of the legal uh, landscape. The aspirations, I think we we can uh, see there's a con more consistency now in wanting to move in that direction. Um, there's been the formal commitments, um, you know, but things also like providing training for 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 all workers, right, including migrant workers. Um, that's really lacking as well. So that's what we mean by yeah, it, it's you know uh, not not really uh, still quite a long long way, a lot of room for improvement. Adrian, um, as we've established earlier, right, this isn't just a local issue, but an international one. Um, you cite inconsistencies and transparency issues in your research. Can you give us an example of and why we need to improve transparency in our governments? Yeah, so just like every democracy where, you know, laws and regulations are uh, developed with people's input, with workers' input, um, unfortunately, when it comes to the labor reforms in Malaysia, uh, we find that many actors, you know, who are directly involved in the issue, say, for example, migrant workers themselves, uh, are not included in those conversations, in the dialogue. Right. And, you know, I think it's an open secret that, you know, Malaysia, uh, we don't really have, you know, uh, a streamlined uh, method of how laws are created. You know, that's, for me, just mind-boggling. You, you can have uh, different issues, and if you if you micro-analyze them, all are formulated in a, in a different manner. And, and for me, that's just, uh, you know, out of this world. So, for example, if you look at the different MOUs that were created, um, you know, even the national action plans, uh, some of the labor reforms that, you know, that were... Uh, you know, inspired by the uh, the TPP uh, uh, labor consistency plan. You know, a lot of this were done in secrecy. You know, and and without that that transparency, you know, you how do you hold people accountable? How do you uh, ensure that you know there's a robust uh, debate or discussion before a particular law or regulation is and is enforced? So so that. As, as is seen as a big stepping block, block in you know, uh, in in resolving this this problem of forced labor. Now, the final point you bring up is about workers' voices and unions, which I find very interesting, very important. Something we've talked about a lot recently. What is the unionization rate among migrant workers in Malaysia, and what is the importance of unionization, especially with regard to this particular issue, which is forced labor, forced labor, especially among migrants. Uh, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, I think it's an important part. I mean, um, it, it's essentially about workers' voice, right? And their representation to articulate 
to have the solidarity to press for their uh, interests. Um, they have you know power in, in numbers uh, versus employers having you know the power of that uh, position um, and 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 being the owners of uh, capital. So, uh, but to to get a handle on the situation, um, there is a the numbers that tend to uh, circulate about union membership. Uh, something like uh, 6%. But um, the majority of union membership in Malaysia actually are not in the private sector. And so we are more, the issues that we're talking about here and where um, the role, right, in terms, because the, the, the public sector and statutory body unions, um, you know, the workers there, yes, of course, they, they have legitimate issues to raise as well, but but they have quite, they're, they're already quite, quite secure and protected, you know, uh, but I, I, of course, don't want to uh, overstate that. There definitely should be more room for, for those union public sector to, um, you know, to, to represent work, their, uh, their constituents' interests. But in the private sector, I think, you know, I, I think we understand that this is where, this is really the realm that we are talking about. So the, the the more correct figure uh, reference when we're talking about unionization uh, in the context of forced labor, in the context of workers' uh, representation, is more like three percent. It's probably even lower than that. Private sector uh, workers. Um, that's overall. And then, uh, just to give some numbers, right? In twenty eighteen, there were about nine hundred thirty thousand union members. Um, the number that were non-Malaysian is twenty thousand. Right. So it's it's only about 1% of migrant workers, of permit holders. And so that's uh, really, really dismal. At the same time, and maybe there's not enough awareness that um, collective uh, agreements, right, the the conditions, the benefits, you know, uh, extend to all, all workers. Um, and so the importance of participating in that and having, uh, having uh, a uh, a direct stake by union membership. It would enable, uh, I think, more um, bolder, right, uh, and 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 more uh, get just lend more 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 weight with with more uh, membership to um, to participate for workers' voice to be represented in in collective uh, bargaining. Adrian, what can we do to promote? unionization rate among workers, especially migrant workers. Because even when we look at just overall, uh, putting aside whether you're migrant or Malaysian, our unionization rate is so abysmal, right? We are talking about less than 10% of the entire workforce. If you compare to countries like Denmark, we are talking about 70 to 75% of the entire workforce being unionized. And hence, in Denmark, McDonald's workers can get $22 an hour. What's happening here? What, how, what can we do to promote unionization, create that culture where people want to, to get into unions? And, and what can the government do to facilitate this? It's a very interesting and uh, critical question because uh, in one of the case studies uh, which involve uh, one of these, the, the, the tire companies, where, you know, we had, we had migrant workers who were, you know, willing and ready to join the unions, uh, but there was, uh, you know, strong resistance uh, from uh, the the actual union per se. Uh, you know, despite the law saying that you know migrants uh, can join the union, uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, the, because of the animosity 
the tensions, the the envy, uh, you know, between the the Malaysian workers and the migrant workers, uh, the the scenario or the the circumstance for you know for unionism uh, is not is not a healthy um, environment. So a lot of dialogue needs to take place. A lot of union leaders, you know, need to understand that as long as migrant workers continue to be exploited, uh, the overall um, rights and benefits for all workers will continue to be low. This is something that, you know, I have been trying to explain to trade union leaders for so long. But, you know, uh, I can get a hint that, you know, as long as they are trade union leaders and, you know, they, they, they already have a collective agreement, they are happy with their share of the pie. So they don't see a reason for solidarity and to include their migrant uh, brothers and sisters. So, so this is a struggle. It's a more ideological, uh, philosophical worldview that you know that needs to change. So, in in this case, you can't blame the law because the law already allows migrants to join. Uh, and then, of course, secondly is you know um, um, that that workers empowerment process, which you know is very different uh, compared to. I mean, if you compare migrants and Malaysians, so you know migrants are. You know the the companies, the recruiters, bring in migrants from very uh, low literacy levels, but uh, you know you also have some who are you know masters holders, degree holders, but you know they just can't culturally communicate once they're in Malaysia. So, so an extra boost or some kind of you know affirmative action needs to to be taken to to give them that boost. To then, you know, be able to bargain with the local unions to to be able to, you know, maybe one day even form, uh, you know, their own union if, you know, if there's flexibility in the in the trade union act amendments. So then, you know, there's more competition. You have more robust environment, and and that's exactly how some of these, you know, capitalist uh, countries, you know, like the Scandinavian model. You even mentioned one just now. Yeah, all are, you know, following the, the capitalist model, but, you know, with a high degree of unionization, you know, as a result of historical worker struggle, now everyone benefits. Uh, of course, we still need to test the, the the Europeans and the Scandinavians whether how much of that pie is shared with migrants. We, we don't know yet for right. sure, but, but, but those models work. And, you know, if you go back to the question of high ground, imagine uh, if... If the Malaysian workers now move into higher, higher value jobs, or you know, uh, and not need to compete with with migrants in the three D sector, you know that that's what Singapore uh, kind of did the transition they did in the eighties. But for us, you know, this is it, quite scary because even after Form Five, uh, a a big percentage are saying, you know, why should we go to university? We are going to you know, end up as, uh, you know, with, without a job, with a huge debt. So so we have a big problem in our whole economic design that, that needs to be addressed. Hok An, um, you're the co-author of this paper, but throughout many years, you have focused, um, you know, primarily on economic um, policies um, and the likes. You know, listening to what Adrian said and, you know, throughout this research that you've done, what would you point it, pinpoint this problem 
to fundamentally, right? Is it a problem of a lack of creative and innovative solutions and laws and policies, or is it just pure um, r- poor implementation that the policies, the ideas, the discussions are there, have been there? It is just a matter of those in charge not doing the work right. Uh, that's a very complex question to answer. <laughs> um, I mean, the way I have uh, looked at it, uh, at the, the issue, you know, is it's really been a lot of change of, you know, and over time and, and, and flux. There's been, so I think I described earlier, right, some of this uh, progression. So it's really hard to pinpoint, like there was a decisive turning point. Um, I mean, and, and in, in this work uh, as well, or decided turning point and, and, and sort of one standout uh, factor. I mean, you know, there's the there's the recruitment, there's there's uh, inadequacies uh, undoubtedly over time. I think you could clearly show that there was lack of a policy maybe, you know, 30 years ago, right? Um, but it's been incremental and I think that's part of the problem, the lack of consistency and I think something more comprehensive. And I think we were also... Um, you know, what uh, I think inspired us to also uh, work on this was there is a reference point now with the National Action Plan on, on uh, forced labor. And, and that's the basis for the title, whether Malaysia can eliminate forced labor by 2030. Although the current first action plan is for the first five years until 2025, but the objective, right, uh, the, the timeline, the target is uh, 2030. So there's no more really excuses in terms of whether there's been thought about, whether there are, you know, policies and a certain... Uh, uh, plan. Um, it's really more about being consistent. Um, and I mean, maybe to just to, to touch on one aspect of this, you know, about the inconsistency, like levy payments right, being introduced, you know, and there is a purpose to it for the for a work, foreign worker uh, levy. But then uh, it, it sort of what is the implementation? And, and, and after some time, sort of this creeping uh, practice of employers uh, deducting, and instead of them paying, it's the workers being <laughs> deducted out of wages, which is totally against the original uh, intent. And then ex- explicitly allowing employers to do that. I can't remember what year, but that was actually a policy. And then, and then back, and and then uh, you know, and and back and forth, and, and changing your stance about that. So probably that is one uh, you know key factor. I think that is also clearly emerging the consistency, and it will still be a challenge. I think to to maintain that consistency because now it's sort of now it's there's there's been this flux about the jurisdictions, right? The worker management system um, under it seemed to be moving towards Ministry of Human Resources now gravitating back towards Ministry of uh, Home Affairs. Uh, so, you know, these are uh, not really the positive kind of signs. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> something, yeah, that uh, maybe Adrian would like to <laughs> comment on now as, as well. Yeah, I mean, the, the you know, globally, um, you know, most of the human resource uh, aspect of, of governance and, and the economy is, is managed by human resource, and and you know just when uh, you know uh, the the previous administration had had decided you know very clearly to follow the global norms, uh, the Anwar administration uh, you know backtracked on that, and for me that's a a very big mistake because you know we have seen the conflict of interest, we have seen the unhealthy competition, and we have seen how that has put all workers in very poor conditions, uh, especially the migrant workers. So, um, 
unfortunately, you know, this has been announced and, you know, we are waiting to see uh, what are the new SOPs. But uh, it's extremely disappointing because, um, you know, after they, they refused to, you know, to, to publish the report by the independent, you know, committee that was, uh, you know, investigating the management of migrants, we thought that, yeah, there could be some hope uh, uh, in terms of, you know, how we are going to solve this problem. But now it looks like we have gone back to square one. Uh, absolute disaster. Uh, the Anwar administration needs to talk to the right people. It needs to go down to the ground and see where the conflict of interest has been happening. Who are the people gaining from such policies, you know? And and then rethink this, uh, this, this whole, uh, you know, handing back the uh, the labor migration uh, lead to the home affairs uh, ministry yeah now in your paper you talk about how malaysia has come under intense scrutiny since 2018 i find this very interesting you talk about how numerous exposés that have come out such as the important report by the guardian concerning forced labor conditions at top glove Top Glove, of course, denied all these allegations. Now, you cite a number of other examples, but I'm curious, what's causing this shift since 2018? What's different about the past four to five years compared to, let's say, 15, 20 years? Uh, if you look at the, the the global supply chain and the reforms by different governments, uh, you know, it's, it, it's happening so fast. Um, you have lost... Uh, not just in the US that that you know monitors the the production of of forced labor in the supply chain. You also have uh, Canada, UK, Australia, the, the European governments now uh, not just talking but already having laws. You know, so um, Malaysia, who you know, we have become so comfortable with utilizing forced labor over the past thirty years. Uh, the shock to the economy uh, needs to be addressed and managed. So, um, uh, not just, you know, by the ILO standards or because of external pressure, but as a country, we should genuinely want to, you know, not abuse workers. You know, that's, for me, the, the going back to our moral compass of, you know, how we, are, we plan to, to run the economy in the next uh, uh, 10, 20 years. But uh, what what I see is that you know we are so desperate to recover from the the pandemic that you know we are even sidelining opportunities from Malaysians rather than you know giving them the jobs. Uh, so, but the the good thing is yeah the the pressure from the supply chains where you know they have crystal clear agendas. Uh, and and me and my team at at NSI we have been uh, you know conducting investigations assessments. The supply chain consumers who are, you know, utilizing our products or buying our products are very clear. The question is, are Malaysian regulators, Malaysian lawmakers, is the Malaysian industries ready for that change? This is my question for 2023. And before we wrap this conversation up, I just had like to, you know, get some final thoughts, closing thoughts from both of y'all. Um, starting with you, Hawk An. We've discussed a lot of the problems, some potential solutions. But realistically, can Malaysia eliminate forced labour by 2030? 
Yeah, I know we, we actually posed uh, the, that, that question. <laughs> and I think you know that we're not going to answer it. It's just a yes, yes or no. And we, we, we you know, it, it's, it's all, it depends, right? It, it, we're talking about, you know, uh, seven, seven, eight years uh, from now, it's the beginning of uh, 2023. 20, uh, I think the more important uh, application, I think, of of our thinking and our, our research, I think, is is to uh, the certain conditions and, and 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 the requirements that are needed and the steps taken, consistency, you know, to actually make it uh, happen. And so we did uh, sort of. Um, synthesize that into a few aspects i think you know and the first is as you've been talking about the, the recruitment employment uh, system the kind of resets that need to take place um including i think it's it's a challenging question but some some ways right not not total re, not a total opening that uh, you know to maybe um migrant workers right to to uh to to change um, under any uh, any conditions at all, but to broaden it beyond the very very limited ones that uh, Adrian was uh, talking about uh, uh, just now, to really abide by the commitment to zero uh, zero fee uh, recruitment, standardizing across the different MOUs and uh, between countries, and having more transparency of bilaterally because it's 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 uh, there are inconsistencies and when these con conditions ought to be the same for any human human being, right? But, you know, where country, there can be country-specific conditions, okay. But I think there needs to be a, a, a clearer articulation um, and a reasonable one about what are the standards across all uh, MOUs regarding uh, migrant uh, labor migration with uh, with with the uh, labor source countries. Moving to the high, high road uh, uh, strategy, giving workers uh, more voice. I mean, I think it's not impossible. I, I, I don't, I would, I, I, I kind of, I'm, well, I'm choosing, right, to, to be more uh, optimistic and focusing more on, I think, what are the conditions that can actually, you know, make it uh, possible by uh, 2030. Adrian? Uh, yeah, so I think the, the right question is how are we going to do it to achieve that goal? And uh, one of my friends who, you know, my university friend who left Malaysia uh, 20 years ago, uh, he's in Australia, when he saw the title, he said, Aidan, are you joking? Forced labor should be eliminated now from day <laughs> one. Why are you waiting for 2030? Absolutely. And, and, you know, and I had a good laugh, you know. So, uh, you know, there's so many actors who have been struggling for the last 10 years to solve this. ILO is on the board. IOM has now joined the game. The private sector, you name it, every industry is just struggling to, you know, to get Malaysia to uh, to make the change. Uh, end of the day, it all boils down to what are the workers willing to do? Uh, are they willing to come out from their comfort zone, to form the unions, to build that collective bargaining, not just in your own factory or sector, but, you know, as a nation. And, you know, if you, if you look at the strikes going on in Europe, they don't care if you are the son of the president or uh, you know a, a low wage worker. If there's a strike, nobody moves. You have that bargaining power, and you know Malaysia, we are just not there yet. So I think the question is how we are going to do it and what we we need to do to fine tune that plan. Have the political will, and if we can do that, even by next year. 2024, it can be done. 
Adrian Hawk-An, thank you so much for joining me today. That was Lee Hawk-An and Adrian Pereira, co-authors of the paper Can Malaysia Eliminate Forced Labour by 2030? Um, this paper is available on the ICS Yusof Ishak Institute website. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check out the podcast on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashran Johan, and this has been Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.